opera, you need highly cultivated voices. One reason being to be heard at the back of large auditoriums in pre-amplification times. But there's a huge range of shade and tone and voices within that genre. And like athletes, different singers are suited to different roles. Some have the pipes for the great belting Wagnerian roles, for example, and others will be better suited to the smaller scale operas of Purcell or my personal favourite Monteverdi. The great actor and humorist Peter Ustinov, who also directed numerous operas, wrote this. There is no art form which attempts the sublime while defying the ridiculous with quite the foolhardiness of the opera. We often have to accept that a lady lavishly endowed with substance is an object of unrequited masculine desire simply because she is equally endowed with a voice. Things are hardly helped when her paramour is revealed to be under five foot. And so he goes on. And I wonder whether that popular but rather unkind and irreverent view of opera only adds to people thinking that it isn't for them. But worse still is its reputation for elitism because in many cases it's still really accessible only to the well-heeled and classical music educated. And yet, the music can be transcendently beautiful and of course live it's a hugely rewarding experience. A kind of emotional workout for the soul, really. And everyone should have the chance to go to at least one. Welcome to another conversation in this series about the arts and what they do for us emotionally. I'm Frances Butt. My guest Zoe Chaloner is on a mission to bring opera and music into more people's lives generally and into children's lives most especially. In our pre-recording chat, she even mentioned the UN Convention on the Rights of Children to Access Culture, which I'd never heard of and I was delighted to hear about. Along with fellow musicians and teachers Jacqueline White and Phil Ypres-Smith, Zoe formed Bopera, shortening of Baby and Opera, and together they create live, direct, musical and multisensory experiences for little ones. And as you'll hear, Zoe was introduced to opera herself at an extremely young age. But I'll let her tell you about that herself. Zoe, hello and welcome. Hello, Francis. It's so good to be here. It's lovely to see you. How are you at the moment? Uh, you sort of getting busy now? Lockdown is easing and things. Yes, I am actually. Yeah, it's been um, it's gone from one extreme to another. And I think that everyone now that things are easing is desperately trying to <laughs> make stuff happen again. So things are getting busy. Oh, good. I mean, in a good way, I hope. Yeah, what I want to be doing. It's just pacing and all that. I know it's taking time to crank up the old um, energy levels as well, isn't it? I think it's, we all seem so, seems to be a bit of a shock yeah, to, uh, to be doing to things. Lie in the sun, yeah, that's <laughs> right, and have nothing in the diary. Yep, yeah. Oh, no, it gets a bit worrying when you've got two things in a day. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for putting this extra one in yours. That's a pleasure. Well, where should we start from the very basics then? Can you tell us how you came to be involved in opera music what's your story 
Well, I guess I came into contact with opera before I was even born because um, <laughs> my dad took my mum to hear Wagner's Ring Cycle when I was when she was pregnant with me. Crikey, and so, that's a start. I mean, that was really like, let's start at the very beginning, isn't it? Right. Like, Julie Andrews moment. And, um, <laughs> and then I, um, yeah, I've had an affinity for Wagner ever since, which um, we mm. now know that music that babies hear in the oh, womb yeah. really has a profound effect on them, um, mm. you know, after they're born. So maybe that's not so surprising. Absolutely. Yeah, it is very powerful stuff, Blad, isn't it? So you connect, you felt that, that connection with those sounds. But any other composers you developed the love for over time? Oh my goodness, so many. That's <laughs> that's just like, where do you start? That's a bit like talking about food, isn't it? And Desert saying, Island what, composers, yeah. What food do mm. you like? I um, I had the wonderful privilege to sing um, Saint-Saëns Christmas Oratorio a couple oh. of years ago. Rossini, Petite Messe I love singing uh, music by Rossini, Bellini, Donizetti. They're, the way they write for the voice, mm. the way they understand that the singer is a, a living, breathing, instrument that needs mm -hmm. to breathe and it is absolutely extraordinary um I love listening to Mozart I've also enjoy really enjoyed some of the contemporary um, operas I've performed there, there's a chap called Stephen Crow um, who just wrote some really bizarre but wonderful and quirky operas that I sang in one called Domestic I just remember singing about butternut squash oh my husband and I still laugh about it every time. I haven't heard of Stephen Crow. I've got to look that up now. That sounds hilarious. He's now in Berlin composing quirky things in the woods for, for various instruments. But I mean, there's such a variety. And yeah, Benjamin Britten. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, but it's a massive, massive genre, isn't it, really? It's a very broad reaching. But So can we go to basics now? What, for anyone who hasn't seen, because there are so many people who haven't seen or heard an opera still. What is an opera? So at its most basic, perhaps, it's a story right. told through music, brought to life through music. Mm. And generally that is done with singers and with instruments in the orchestra, often in a theatre, but not necessarily. They can mm. be anywhere and often with costumes and wigs and makeup and props and set and scenery. Um, but again, not necessarily with all those things. I live in Birmingham in the UK and there are there's an, an opera company here called Birmingham Opera Company and they mm. stage operas in canal tunnels and in disused nightclubs and oh, wow. old banks and marquees. Mm. Yeah, and warehouses, all sorts of places. So again, there are endless possibilities, but it's, it's stories brought to life. Yeah through music and the human singing voice. Yes, and they're very, yeah, because they're live and they're, they're very large, really, aren't they? They're sort of life writ large or stories writ large and they go straight for the emotional jugular, really, because they vibrate not just in the ears, but the whole body because you're there. And same as orchestral music, but voices, these very powerful voices add this massive extra dimension to that. So they predate rock concerts really and that they really do affect you physically don't they they certainly do I think you're right I think that's a really important point you're making about the human voice and about resonance mm. and it's interesting in an age where we hear so much more over recordings and you know um, devices yeah a, a sound engineer once explained to me that every time that happens we are losing this huge range of frequency right and yes when you hear that sound live it's visceral there's nothing quite like it it actually vibrates and resonates yeah. through your cells through your body oh that's so interesting because editing recorded sound is 
chopping through those frequencies and breaking that down so you don't have that same experience of yeah they're interrupting those waves that's very interesting I hadn't really thought of that before absolutely so the stories that are often told in opera well they tend to, to have been about gods and mythology and borrowing from another ancient art form but there are a few political ones, though, I guess, through the ages, but um, they're very classical orientated. So they seem to be for the educated. And so they seem to have become rather elitist. Opera seems to have that reputation of elitism. Why do you think that's gone that way? It does, doesn't it, sometimes? And I don't know. I, sp- <laughs> I spend an awful lot of time thinking about this, Francis. Um, um, I mean, there are some very political operas and, um, you know, there are operas that have been, I mean, there's Camillitonen by Peter Maxwell Davis, which was about student revolutions, uh, bringing yeah. together stories from the American civil rights movement and the Chinese mm. revolution and Nazi Germany. Mm. There are there are operas about pretty much anything, but you're right, it has gained a reputation for being a bit elitist and I... I just wish I knew what the answer was. I know that when I started Bopra, the baby opera company, mm. uh, which I know I'll tell you a bit yes. about later, yeah. my sort of overriding aim was one of equality and bringing people together, um, giving little people the chance to hear yeah. as, as well as big people and also bringing together families of different backgrounds and diverse backgrounds. And it, it's kind of dawning on me the irony that I am tr- trying to do that trying to bring people together and, and, and create this kind of inclusive experience through this art form that is actually seen as quite exclusive and excluding. So all I can say is I spend a lot of time thinking about that particular conundrum mm-hmm. and I don't know what the answer is, except I know that it is not inherently elitist and it's not inherently exclusive. Yeah. I mean, often opera costs less than a football match. and Oh, that's a nice fact. I like that fact. <laughs> <laughs> well it's true yeah. and um and the subject matter you know while there are a lot of old classic greats in the canon that are perhaps not things that people would relate to so well these days you know opera is a living breathing art form and there are composers writing operas every day yeah and, and maybe I was being a bit mean there about classical stories because they're still part of our culture and they're still fantastic stories and I'm not sure they need to be elitist in the way I might have portrayed that but we live in this age of very short attention span TikTok age, really, don't we? And so the the campaign you're on with bringing live music is really worthwhile fighting. Live music is so so healthy, physically, emotionally healthy. And we have movies, but they're delivered through a screen. So there is, again, there's that, there's that remove, isn't there? So live performing arts, yeah, good for you. With uh, <laughs> I think it's so important, yeah. yeah you're right, yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't be without movies, but I, I wouldn't want to be without live music as well. Yes, yes. And your mum, tell me about your mum, because she wasn't an elitist person, was she, by <laughs> any stretch or no? No, well, she grew up on a farm in Norfolk uh, and wouldn't have had access to any music whatsoever mm. unless her grandmother had decided to get her some piano lessons at some point and she became a social worker Mm. and then met my dad and he took her to see the ring by Mm. Wagner when she was pregnant and one thing led to another and by the time I was five she decided to go to music college and study singing she was um in her 30s at that point and was therefore considered past her prime you know probably not going to do very much and she surprised everybody by leaving music college and going and getting a job immediately actually from there into Bayreuth um the Wagner festival at Bayreuth wow and then the Monet in, in Brussels and then Welsh National Opera and I tagged along with her and went and I spent some of my 
growing up years in lighting rigs and dressing rooms, trying on costumes. Oh, really is in your DNA, isn't it? Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah. I love that. Now, that's interesting that um, she's in her 30s. That's a very encouraging story as well. But the the operatic voice doesn't develop as young as maybe, you know, acting, you know, you can go and be an actor when you're a young adult, but I think you the voice matures a bit more slowly than that, doesn't it? So that the the peak is a bit later. It does. And and when when young, you know, perhaps 18 year olds straight out of school go and apply to music colleges or want to do singing courses, they're often encouraged to go and do something else first and, and have some life experience and then come back. So oh, that's right, nice. yeah, the voice the voice takes takes a while to settle and the female voice changes um a male voice breaks or changes quite suddenly yeah often, but female voices change much more gradually over a period of years ah and then I guess that doesn't stop I mean their voices our voices do change and develop I used to have a really squeaky voice by the way people used to call me Mickey Mouse and over the years I mean smoking must have helped with that it's not quite so squeaky now let's move on you it's it's a very lovely voice, Francis. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm not advertising fags. Tell me about Bopra, because yeah, how did you how did you start Bopra? What is Bopra? We've done what opera is. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of questions. Where shall I start? Bopra is um, baby opera, beautiful yeah. music for tiny ears. Um, so I love opera, and I've spent a, a large part of my life studying singing, singing in operas you know going to see operas being around opera and yeah. I had children um seven years ago or I had my first child and then my second five years ago and I wanted to share that love with them you know you would you do don't you when you have mm. family and I couldn't really it wasn't that easy they weren't really welcomed at operas or in the concert hall oh. and there wasn't really any means to introduce them to live music of yeah. that kind so I decided with a couple of colleagues to set up Bopra and create live music that was specially designed for little people. Mm. And so very multi-sensory, bringing mm. stories to life. I mean, we actually see we sing actual opera probably only about 20 percent of the time. Okay. And opera is definitely a part of it. But we're taking opera back to that purest form of what the word means. It literally means work. Oh. Uh, opus, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's yeah. a work. It's a story told through music, and so that's what we do. And we create stories, and we often um, some of our shows use a lot of opera. Some of them use less, but we use some new newly composed music, folk songs from right. around the world, nursery rhymes that have been mashed up a little bit, you know, other classical music, and some opera. And we create stories that are yeah, especially designed for babies and toddlers. Fantastic. And I, I love that developing a child's musical intelligence because it's a, a phenomenally important form of intelligence. I think it's it feeds to linguistic intelligence and and uh, well, all kinds of I don't know there, there's some kind of psychological benefit to having a musically trained ear. Um, I need to look yeah. that up, actually, what that what the science is around that. Yes, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? I think music has so, so many benefits, um, doesn't it? And many mm. of them have been researched mm. and mm. articulated so well. Yeah, not like I just did. Yeah. There's somebody <laughs> called Colwyn Trevathan who talks about the musicality of communication and how yes. that music in babies, uh, that babies create with their caregivers is like one of the most fundamental things, really. And it creates yeah. the sense of security in the world and the relationship mm. that they develop with their caregivers and the sort of communication that they then build up with those caregivers. That's Definitely. I'm sure it's part of that empathic communication as well and understanding what's being, what you're hearing, and what you're delivering. 
and having more more range there as well. I'm sure that's definitely true. Yeah, but I'd love to know which kinds of which bits of opera you do use in your 20%. Yeah, I'm really intrigued to know ah. what what your babies are getting. <laughs> oh gosh, it depends so much. So I mean we do a lot of um, workshop sessions and those will have a theme. And so for example, if we are singing, if our theme is that the moon and stars, yeah. I will sing Nuit d'Etoile by Debussy. Now that's not exactly opera, it's a classical song. Yeah. And we have a show called Alice and the Library Tree, which was our most recent show. Now mm. that is actually probably more like 75% opera. There's a lot of opera in that one. And it's mm. like a whistle stop tour of there is some Mozart marriage of Figaro in there. Um, you'll hear the Ride of the Valkyries from Wagner. Oh, great. A bit of the Woodbird also from Wagner. You'll hear um, Beethoven. There's a storm um, sequence from the Appassionata by Beethoven. So, oh, and the Can Can um, by Offenbach oh. with words, different words written to it. So there's a lot of opera in that one, but not Brilliant. in all. The associations you make when, when you first hear a piece of music, that's amazing that they're going to be hearing, having access to these melodies and pieces and and experiences so young it's fantastic fantastic <laughs> oh it just reminds me when you said ride of the valkyries when we first got um, mobile phones and everyone was getting into uh having their own personal ringtones do you remember those days yeah, they, that now, but, and they'd have different ringtones for different people and my friend's son had for his mum when his mum was ringing it would be <laughs> ride of the valkyries yeah. then he knew it was his mum <laughs> so nice that's really funny yeah oh, I that said something about their relationship <laughs> yeah I guess I think it was affectionate <laughs> I hope it was anyway <laughs> so what's coming up for you um you I mean you've just done Alice in Wonderland. that sounds amazing what's coming up boporatically <laughs> boporatically that's a good word what's <laughs> coming up there's it, everything has gone up in the air Francis in the pandemic and it's yeah. all just uh coming down a little bit like snowflakes and I'm just watching everything coming down and just wondering where it's going to settle mm. um when the pandemic hit we had a really busy diary with touring and performances and workshops out of Birmingham Hippodrome and pretty much everything you can imagine Gosh. and then overnight it all disappeared yeah so strange yeah, and we don't know what the world's going to look like as we go forward. I don't That's think true. it's going to return entirely to what we knew before. I think there are going to be changes. Yeah. So I've moved online to some extent. I did some online sessions. I've created a, a Patreon membership site where people can have access to all sorts of things on demand when they want to. And that's all good stuff. That's very good. Does that mean that people could come online with their babies and have access to, you know, not don't not having to be in Birmingham to be able to do that? It does. Brilliant. Well, I'll, I'll share the links. Uh, definitely. Oh, and, yeah. Thank you. And also, I mean, the other great thing is babies have nap times and they listen for a while very intently and then maybe get grouchy yes. or maybe want to you know <laughs> often it's all coming back to me yeah yeah so um I think something where you just know that you have access to it as often as you want when you want is quite yeah, handy that's great also, they really thrive on repetition and you know you notice that when you're working with babies and toddlers just how important repetition is yes so I think, again, something that you can play over and over again can be really, really fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. That's uh, I'll definitely share those links at the end. Um, I'm now going to ask you for funny anecdotes, if you have any, because it's the time. Ah, um, funny anecdotes. <laughs> well, you, um, you're, it was chatting with you. You brought up the bouncing Tosca, didn't you? Oh, it's the best. And I looked it up and it, and it was, I thought it was apocryphal. It was not apocryphal. It happened in the 1960s in New York. Ah, so there are different versions of this because some people oh. say it happened in Hull in in the in England. Oh, interesting. Um, 
and other versions say in America. So I don't know actually which I don't know which is. Um, oh, this is Peter Ustinov's book. Okay, of, uh, opera oh, catastrophe. Yeah, so yeah, and he he directed operas, didn't he? So, but it is pretty fantastic. And it was that she had fallen. The diva playing Tosca had fallen out with the stage crew. And so they replaced, so she's supposed to, this is for the listener, she's supposed to throw herself to her doom for off the battlements at the end. So she commits suicide by throwing herself off the battlements and they had replaced the mattress she falls on with a trampoline. So she apparently bounced about 15 times before the curtain fell, sometimes upside down. <laughs> I had to leave town, obviously, after that. I mean, I do feel for her if it's true. I think the moral of that, that story yeah. is always be nice. Be nice to your stage crew. Yeah, yeah. Very important. It's a great story. I remember when I was at Bayreuth with my mum and she was singing there, the Rhine maidens in the ring were in this particular production appearing without clothes. And I Mm. do remember that I found it very funny as a 10 year old or whatever I was that when it said, um, I can't remember what the German was, but on the rehearsal schedule, when it said in costume, Mm. they were meant to turn up naked. (laughs) When it said not in costume, they were able to go wearing clothes. I think that tickled my 10 year old sense of humour. I also remember my mum in the Welsh National Opera car park pranging a very well known conductor's car. Um, I won't name him for reasons that will become apparent, but and then buying him a very large bottle of whiskey by way of apology. Yes. Um, to which he said, that's very kind of you, my dear, but I don't drink. I think he was a recovering alcoholic, so drink oh. off, off the okay. menu. Well, that was kind of funny in a way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> yes, yeah, awkward is the word. That's the word. Oh, bless you. And bless her. And bless him. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> oh, so it's been fantastic to talk to you about opera and bopera. Thank you very much. What fun. I've had such a fun time. Thank you for having me. It's been a real Great pleasure. pleasure. And I, I will definitely share the links so that people can access what you're doing because it's wonderful. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for much. what you're doing. Thank you, Francis. Thank and uh, hopefully at some point we can uh, we can see each other in the flesh. That would be great. Maybe at an opera. Oh, that would be even better. That would be even better. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, Zoe. Thank you, Francis. As you may have noticed in some other episodes, I'm a bit of a sucker for things going wrong stories. And I have another really sweet one I'd love to share with you that happened in Act 3 of Götterdämmerung, part of Wagner's great ring cycle of Norse mythology. Our hero Siegfried has just died, so two men have to pick up the beer bearing his body and carry him off stage. In this production in Hamburg, One of these extras had fallen ill, but it was such a small part, no one thought it worth bothering to rehearse the stand-in. And so, to Wagner's soaring music, both pallbearers marched solemnly on stage, picked up each end of the beer, and realised they were facing one another. So, they both put it down again, and both turned the other way so that they were both facing outwards. Apparently the audience erupted into laughter and applause. A beautiful moment, I'm sure you'll agree. But back to Bopra. I followed up with Zoe after our talk on her mention of Colwyn Trevathan's theory of the musicality of communication 
And this was apparently developed from studies in mother-child communication that showed the noticeable patterns of timing, pulse, voice tone and gesture. And having looked a little further into it, there are plenty of studies worldwide showing that children with musical training develop better cognitive control and mental flexibility, better auditory and visual memory, and better reading skills. They can pay attention for longer. They're more creative and resilient. And music also plays a role in social-emotional learning, self-awareness, social awareness. Children's quality of life for the whole of their lives will obviously be better for all of these things. So what Zoe and her colleagues are doing is powerfully positive for babies and children's development as well as tremendous fun for them. You can find out more about Bopera through their website bopera.co.uk and they're also on Facebook and Instagram. They're based in Birmingham but since the pandemic they've introduced online events too should you like to participate with your little one. If you're thinking of trying an opera Zoe suggests that a good start would be Bizet's Carmen, Verdi's La Traviata, or anything by Puccini. Madame Butterfly or La Boheme are beautiful and real tearjerkers. Zoe also loved Britain's Turn of the Screw, even as a child. It's a fantastic adaptation of a Henry James ghost story, and it's on my bucket list to go to. The music is fantastic. And finally, Zoe added that... (laughs) Bopra's musical director fell in love with, quote, squeaky gate contemporary music as a child listening to the radio, which just goes to prove you never know what you might like. So have a forage about and listen to a range of things. If you'd prefer just to get an idea of what you might be in for before you commit to buying tickets for the opera, I've listed some YouTubes of Zoe's pics in the text for this podcast with one on the end from me. If you liked this episode, please feel free to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You should be able to find Emotipod there. And if you rate and review on Apple or Google or Spotify or any of those places, that would really be appreciated because that's the best way of helping this series reach new ears. And there are plenty of other brilliant guests in other instalments for you to listen to as well. So until next time. Enjoy keeping all your senses open and alive to whatever art makes your life better.